Amen. Good morning. A few more of you with us than uh, our 8 o'clock service last week with Daylight Savings. Um, We're continuing our series uh, through Luke's Gospel, and uh, we're in Luke chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 10. Uh, through to verse 21, and I'll read that for us. That's page 1037, if you've got your pew, uh, ESV pew Bible in front of you, 1037. Uh, Luke chapter 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things That were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, if you remember last week, uh, we, we, I started out by giving this example uh, of Seth appearing to be an angry person. And for those of you who weren't here last week, I also reiterated that Seth is not often an angry person. It's just by way of example and illustration. Um, but if I have only witnessed uh, those attributes of Seth... Uh, those aspects of his personality those few times, then I have an incomplete uh, and an unhelpful, I come to uh, incomplete and unhelpful conclusions about him. Uh, And that affects the way that I would interact with Seth. Now, we also talked about how so many people do the exact same thing with God. We then saw how Jesus challenges the way that uh, the Jews viewed God and events that take place. That, that catastrophic events do not always equate to the divine judgment on specific sins on specific people. Both believers and unbelievers 
die, perish in, in catastrophic events like natural disasters or, or man-made problems, you know, bombings, car accidents, you know, anything, whatever it may be that brings suffering and loss and pain. I just realized bombing sounds so strange that I put that in there. Uh, I think because I just seen this documentary on uh, the Mormon church. Anyway, I've now lost myself. Um, <clears throat> Uh, uh, but but the, here's the thing: is that, that Christians have a, a, a worldview, uh, a worldview, a perspective that offers hope, uh, a perspective that that frees us from living in in constant fear, and a perspective that that hinges on being in right relationship with God. And, and that, is, that comes through the, the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. The idea that he takes, he bears the wrath that, that man rightfully deserves. Uh, that he makes a way possible to, to everlasting life with the Father through his sacrifice. And that is made on our behalf through a life of, of repentance. Turning from sin. We looked at the word metanoia. Uh, uh, repentance, to turn from sin, but not just from sin to nothing, but from sin and to Christ, our Savior, our only rescuer. But Because we never know when our day will come. We all live on borrowed time. Well, this morning we see the response to the rejection of that good news of the gospel. A people group who, who are desperate for the kingdom of God, but refuse to see it for what it really is. And in fact, they cannot see it because they refuse to accept the reality of the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing. Uh, let's now take a moment to ask that God would give us eyes to see his kingdom uh, that he would give us understanding and that he would help us to see the beauty of Christ uh, in, through his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, uh, we don't want this to just become rote, um, something that we sort of half tune into. Uh, but Father, we pray that we would be like this woman who walks away glorifying you. That we would see the beauty of Christ in these passages. That we would see the work that he's setting out to do as we think about Holy Week approaching and the, the, the way that we celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of your Son. So, Father, give us minds to pay attention early this morning. Give us focus that we would have dwelt together as your people under your word, as is your desire for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me read again. The first section of our passage, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Now, do we find it interesting that... Uh, Luke puts this miracle after all of the hard words, all the hard sayings, all the challenging teaching that he's just given. Jesus has just dealt with hell and judgment and sudden death and unrepentance. And then Luke tells of this event of a healing of a woman on the Sabbath. 
What is our connection here between these verses? I think it is a continuation of this theme of wrong understanding leading to wrong conclusions. Jesus has explained the need for repentance, a a total shift in, in attitude and approach. And now he's going to reveal the lack of that uh, with some, including the leadership. But before we get to that, let's look at this woman with the disabling spirit. Now, it does not appear that she is demon-possessed. She is in spiritual bondage that is displayed in her physical posture. Now, is she a wicked woman? Jesus calls her a daughter of Abraham in verse 16. I wonder if the idea of her condition shows the condition of the people whom Jesus came to save. What do I mean by that? I want us to look at two passages. First, we look back at Luke chapter 4 and starting in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, as he's doing in this event in Luke 13... He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up and read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And uh, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Our second section, uh, in Mark chapter 2, after healing a, a paralytic, the scribes and the Pharisees say, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? To which Jesus responds, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. So Luke chapter 4 shows us that the kingdom of God is now uh, uh, breaking through into the world. Uh, Today, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. And and, and Mark chapter 2 is showing us that It doesn't look like the kingdom that people were expecting. It is the good news to the poor. In some cases, they are materially poor, but in all cases, they are spiritually poor. People who recognize that they cannot achieve the kingdom of God, they cannot achieve salvation on their own merits, on their own strengths, on their own abilities, on their status. People who recognize the need for repentance and salvation. He comes to proclaim liberty to the captives. Those who are bound by, uh, 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 by the God of this world, Satan. Just as this woman is representative of. She is bound physically by Satan. She is not the type of person you would expect to be a contributor uh, to the kingdom of God, right? I mean, she's not even the type of person you would expect to see in the kingdom of God. She's probably in the, in the back of the synagogue. 
hiding because she knows what people will think of her, what they will say about her. And based on our previous verses from from last week, we can safely guess that they would assume that she has done something that deserves the ailment that she currently has. That, That somehow in God's divine justice, he has placed This infirmity on this woman rightfully or or as a direct result of of a specific sin. Well, all we know is that she is at the synagogue in her condition. And Jesus calls her up in the middle of his teaching and heals her. Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hand on her And she was immediately made straight, and she glorified God. A couple of things before we move on to the next section. Notice that she doesn't come to him, but he comes to her. He calls her out. He's obviously making a point uh, about the kingdom and what it looks like. He didn't call the, 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 you know, the wealthy man in the front row who has no visible infirmities and say, "You, you are freed from your disability. Now, he's giving us a window of what the kingdom of God will look like when it's, it's consummated. No more disabilities. At the same time, he, he's giving a, a visual representation of his power and authority over Satan. Which is funny because earlier they started accusing him of being a demon who was casting out demons. So here's another example of that. Satan has bound this woman for 18 years, and with one touch and one phrase, this woman is completely freed from physical bondage. In other sections, Jesus says, you know, your sins are forgiven, which shows his authority over spiritual conditions. Now, he's chosen to perform this act on the Sabbath day. And before everyone can cheer and and rejoice uh, in in what Jesus has done for the woman, the ruler of the synagogue wants to file a complaint against the visiting preacher. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. So this leader, let me get this straight, this leader has just witnessed a miraculous miracle. He's probably seen this woman come in and out of the synagogue for 18 years in her condition, with no relief, completely double bent over. Now, I venture to guess he's never seen a miracle on this level ever in his life. And his beef is with what day it took place on. I mean, does the, do you feel how ludicrous that is? I think sometimes we just read this and we think, yeah, 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 Pharisees, synagogue leaders have been all upset about Sabbath day. But I mean, think about what just took place. It's insane that this would be his issue. Uh, sorry, I know this is good, but please come back on Monday and then receive your miracle. Uh, we're, clo- we're Chick-fil-A. We're closed on Sunday, don't you know? though it would have been Saturday. Uh, you know, you know I, I, I thought our visiting teacher from heaven would have known better, but sometimes we have to take things into our own hands. And the funny thing is, if you notice this, he doesn't even address Jesus himself and say, oh, teacher, you know, you, why are you doing this on the Sabbath? He just addresses the people. Not quite sure why he does that. Maybe he's afraid. 
Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites. This is now the third indictment of hypocrisy that he's giving to leaders. You hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? What is he saying here? Jesus sets up an argument from the, from the lesser to the greater. He does this often in his teaching. If you are willing to loosen your ox and your donkey to water it on the Sabbath, how much more so a daughter of promise be loosed from the bond of Satan? And what is his reasoning for, for choosing the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath commemorates, as we know, God's creation week, but it also signifies Israel's release from slavery. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Then on top of that, as we consider the kingdom that Jesus is ushering in, he again is giving us a picture of what we call the Sabbath rest. The, the, the final rest with God for eternity, where there will be no more sickness, where there will be no more suffering, where there will be no more pain, weeping. And this woman will no longer and never again be bound by Satan and sin. So we get this small picture, a taste of what that Sabbath rest will look like. I don't think Jesus is saying that anyone who looks infirmed or, or disabled will never enter. We certainly know that's not the case. But rather, that those consequences of living in a broken world will be gone if anything, he's saying it's often the people who understand humility. It's those people who, 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 who are pushed to the back and misunderstood. These people understand uh, repentance. They understand grace. They understand submission. It's not usually the, the, the leader of the synagogue. These are those who will enter the rest, that rest. But the ones who are like our ruler of the synagogue, who, who think it's about having it right on the outside, who, who clearly has not understood the purpose and the meaning of Sabbath, who Jesus attacks with the hypocrite's distinction, they, they cover up what lies beneath by uh, holding on to outside rules and, and rituals rather than opening up their hearts and, and, and allowing that to be transformed and having eyes to see who it is that is doing the transforming. These are those who will miss out on that rest, on that Sabbath rest. And the, and the interesting thing is that the people begin to see the discrepancy between the two. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were being done by him.
The, the, the people were being freed from the bondage of their hypocritical leaders. And we're seeing the kingdom break through and liberating. Maybe not in the way that people expected. But nevertheless, glorious things were being done. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should I compare it? You see, because the kingdom was being ushered in. And, and there was confusion over what the kingdom was like. It's, it's swirling in the air. Now people are kind of confused. They're not sure. They kind of thought it was going to look like these uh, uptight religious leaders who are total hypocrites. But now he's sort of setting a different tone. And the people don't know what to think. And so he tells them. He's got a therefore there. Because it's a direct link from the events that just took place. So what, to what shall he compare the kingdom of God? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made their nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, a grain of, of mustard seed is not exactly the way that you would describe your kingdom if you were trying to impress people. My kingdom is very grand. It is like uh, a seed, you know. It, it's, it's, it's not the, the logo you're going to put on for your sports team. It's not very powerful. It's not very uh, fear-inducing in, in that sense. But it's a good thing that God's not really trying to impress people. This is the reality, though. The kingdom may seem small. Its growth can be imperceptibly small. But over time, it permeates. It's also like leaven. Jesus used uh, leaven to describe the, hip, the spread of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in chapter 12. And here he's using it in a positive sense. That the kingdom spreads almost without notice. Until the whole load or loaf is leavened. Now, this is a massive encouragement to anyone who is in ministry. Whatever your ministry may be. You know, we sometimes desire the, the, the big crusades. We, we want to see the, the days of, of Billy Graham again. You know, a, a million people, people gathered uh, to hear the gospel. Thousands walking down to repent and, and, and confess and turn to Jesus. And people have tried to sort of replicate that uh, with, with not as much uh, attraction, not as much number. But way more often, that is not what ministry looks like. Now, sometimes God does bless in a, a unique and in extraordinary ways like those. Like those days, the days of revival. But, but the simple task of, of what we're doing here, of gathering together to hear the word of God preached, to, to be growing in grace and maturity, to, to, to engage in the building, of, uh, building up of one another, 
the, the equipping of brothers and sisters to go out and reach others, even if it's just one person at a time. That is still kingdom growth. Now, if we were waiting for mass conversions every week, we would eventually grow weary and probably make unhealthy, unhelpful assumptions about what God is doing or not doing. And there are a lot of churches out there that are like this. I've heard stories of churches that they say, oh, we're going to have baptisms. You know, come on down if you want to be baptized. And they, they literally have people planted in the audience who will run down who are already believers and they've probably already been baptized, but it's to sort of hype up so other people get excited and say, well, those people are running up. I want to run up. So it's purely an emotional response. It's not a genuine response. That's not healthy. The reality is that kingdom growth is often slow. And it processes from work. It takes discipline to make disciples. That's why that's the root word. I remember in, uh, when Lindsay and I were in Sydney and we were at our church there, we were really making a, a strong efforts to reach out to our community uh, in the North Sydney suburb. And we were putting on special events and we had tailored talks for unbelievers and we saw little fruit. But we still saw fruit. Now you could have walked away and thought that that was all just a total failure. Or you could have met the handful of people who came in and were genuinely asking good questions, who were really excited about the changes that, that, that they were seeing and having in the way that they viewed things, uh, watching scales fall from people's eyes, people who had grown up in the church and walked or, or ran a really long way away and then found themselves back at church asking questions and really wanting to know what the Bible said about all kinds of different things. It was amazing. And who knows what effect those few people would have on, in their communities with their people. Paul's famous speech in Athens from Acts chapter 17. It, it sounds so impressive, and it is impressive. But, but at the end, it appears out of all the people that Paul was addressing, only two people are named and just a, a small handful come away who believed and joined him. Mustard seed and leaven. Those aren't the names of the people that joined him. It's Dionysus and Damaris and just a few others. But mustard seed and leaven. That's the work. God does work in ways that are apparently apparently are, are, are small and inconsequential to the end of the establishment of his kingdom. But you see, people like the ruler of the synagogue, they don't see, they don't notice the signs that the kingdom has come, and they walk away and they miss it. So let us be people who have kingdom eyes, that we see kingdom opportunities Let's remember what it looks like to be a person of the kingdom. We don't have to meet the cultural standards of what success looks like. We, we don't have to meet the cultural standard of what, of what a churchgoer looks like. 
It is people who have inherent value as image bearers of God. Two examples as we close. The first one I've mentioned a few times here from this pulpit is Rosaria Butterfield. She, she's this, uh, you know, she was a radical liberal professor of women's studies at Syracuse University, uh, a practicing lesbian. She was writing negatively about uh, uh, Christian men's discipleship. Um, she was antagoni- uh, antagonistic towards Christ in the church. In no way did she fit the mold of a kingdom person. But through the diligent, hard relationship building of a pastor and his wife, now Rosaria thoroughly converted. She and her family have done unbelievable work for the kingdom, challenging the way that the church does hospitality, uh, bringing insight into the way that we relate to the gay and lesbian community, mustard seed and leaven type of work. Now, the second example, I was going to talk about uh, Nick Vujicic, who's the man that was born without arms and legs, uh, and how you could think someone like that is just feel sorry for themselves, or even if they get a speaking circuit, that it's about how they overcame, and that he preaches the gospel. But I think there's another one I, I, I thought of just a moment ago, and Jim Simbola, who was the pastor at the Brooklyn Tabernacle, tells the story of when, after he had preached a sermon and this man came down the front, and he is really ragged looking. I mean, an old army coat, long beard, long hair, dingy, really run down looking, and, and looked like he was about to ask for money or, or food or something. And, and Jim stopped him before he even said anything, and he said, you know, if you're looking for resources, if you're looking for money or whatever, you know, you can go see so-and-so at the back. And with that music cue, I will close the story. Just kidding. I'm not... Um, so this man uh, comes down and then he interrupts him back and he says, no, you don't understand. I'm responding to the message that you just preached. And Simbla is so blown away because he thought this guy looks terrible. He's here for one thing or two things and that's it. He had not seen him for the, for the value that he offered. Well, fast forward a few years, this man gets cleaned up, gets work, you know, starts doing well, goes to Bible college, and he ends up becoming one of the pastoral team members at this church and leads outreach ministry. And it all started when he was essentially a homeless man and struggling, and he was responding to the message. But Jim, who's a pastor, who's the person you think would understand this, doesn't look like a kingdom person. And yet not only did he become a kingdom person, But he became uh, so deeply entrenched in ministry and had a heart for people who looked like he used to look. Don't assume if big explosive things aren't happening that nothing is happening. We can say the same thing of our own lives. We feel like there's no growth. Are you staying in your word? or Are you you connected with the, the biblical community? Are you growing in wisdom and insight and knowledge? Or is there a refining, a sanctifying sense? Remember how the kingdom grows. And remember what the kingdom looks like. Let's pray. Father, I confess that I'm, I'm guilty of this. I think sometimes I go from the, the woman who was healed and I quickly can become the synagogue ruler. 
and I receive grace and I'm so grateful and then quickly I want to make it about rules and regulations and I have expectations of what things are supposed to look like. And that is not what you have called us to. But you've called us to radical repentance and radical transformation. And we are to have the good news of the gospel on our lips for anyone and everyone who hears. Now, you may have us in particular circles that look a particular way, and a lot of people put on masks, and and they may look like they're doing well, and they're doing well financially or whatever it is, but deep down inside, there's burden and there's hurt, and there's longing to be restored. And so those are the communities that you've put us to. And some of us are in different communities, and and we're around people who, who clearly look like they need a Savior. But the issue, Lord, is that all your created people need a Savior. So, Father, give us eyes to see that. Give us eyes to see people who are image bearers of you, who deserve and need to hear the good news of the gospel. Remind us that we are people who continually need the gospel, that we need kingdom growth in our hearts We thank you for this example. We thank you that Christ came and ushered in this kingdom and that we can look forward to an eternity where there will be no more pain, sickness, paralysis, anything. That we can enter that Sabbath rest. And we can do that in part now, but in full later. So Father, go with us this week. Give us the kingdom lenses that we need to see the world around us for what it is for how you created it. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we worship together?